This is the Multifamily by the Slice podcast with your hosts, Dre Evans, Ike Ake, and Chi Nguyen. If your goal is to achieve legacy wealth and financial freedom, then this is the podcast for you. Streaming to listeners around the world, you'll learn unique insights and secret strategies from guests on all aspects of the real estate investing space. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend who can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now, get off your ass and let's get into it. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Jack Krupe on the show, and Jack was a wealth of knowledge because he was right in the thick of it in 08, dealing with non performing loans, ended up on Wall Street, and just did big volume in that space. And ultimately got into multifamily as well. And he's also a capital raiser. So he's been all around the real estate industry and he gave a wealth of knowledge to us. Chi, what are your thoughts? Yeah. What I really liked from the episode is how much his love for financial freedom showed through and how much he liked teaching other people to get them financially free as well. And I also thought there were some really good nuggets in the Giordano round. So how about you, Dre? I think there were a lot of good nuggets just on connecting. He specialized with his multi-brand family niche or brand, you would say, on doing a lot of co-GP opportunities and investor relations and just going from deal to deal, specifically working with over 10 partners on that and then bring him, bringing them recurring deals and them being able to raise capital and add value in that way. And as well as just, he speaks a lot about on different nuggets on networking. So if you're a flipper or trying to do anything with commercial real estate on a large scale and you want to learn more about raising capital or nuggets on connecting, then this show is for you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, listener. Look, the reason you're listening to this show is so you can learn about and invest in real estate. Well, one of the key things our guests, my co-hosts, and myself always preach is to expand your network. So here's your chance and your call to action. Go to my website, rubiconcre.com, sign up for my newsletter, and reach out to schedule some time so we can chat. You can learn about what I'm doing and possibly partner with me on my next deal. Again, that's rubiconcre.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome to the Multifamily Body Size Podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I got my great co-host here, Chi Nguyen and Ike Eke. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. It's Monday, San Diego. The rain has passed us. It's spring. It looks like the sun is coming out. But before we introduce today's guest, I got to check in with Ike and Chi. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. I just found out that, so we just put in a bid last Friday for a tape of quite a few assets. I think it was like 180, I won't say the exact number. I shouldn't have said that, but 200-ish <laughs> assets. We bid 1.6 million and we just got word today that we won. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It'll be our biggest trade yet um, in terms of the mixture and stuff like that. So it'll be fun. It's both seconds and firsts non-performing. So yeah. How are you doing, Ike? Well, keeping with the theme of winning, my San Diego State University Aztecs won <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> and are playing today in the national championships. I'm doing pretty good. I'm nice. doing pretty good. It's been a pretty exciting weekend and it's been a blur going to SDSU. I never expected this to be the case. It has nothing to do with the real estate, obviously, but I'm happy nonetheless. 
It's pretty, pretty cool. So I like that. Dre, how you doing, man? Yeah, man, that was a crazy game. I was watching it and at the very end. I was like, man, there's no way they go in this game. Then <laughs> gets the buzzer beat. I'm like, wow, talk about a... I love an underdog story, though. I'm happy for San Diego. Obviously, I'm not from here, but I love to see a new team go ahead and take it. The city's going crazy about it. The par, the bars are packed. Good on SDSU. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, with no further ado, and Jack, I apologize. I probably should have did this before we pressed the record, but how do I pronounce your last name? Is it Krupe or... Krupe. Perfect. Krupe, of course. Without further ado, let me introduce Jack Krupe. He is our guest today. He has extensive experience in the multifamily space as well as the lending space, and it's going to be a great show. So, Jack, please introduce yourself to our audience. Give them a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll be rooting on the San Diego State as well. One of my good friends from high school it. moved out there. So watched both games last week and then saw that buzzer beater. Good luck tonight. So my background, I got into real estate. It's been over 20 years at this point. I was graduating college during the dot-com crisis. So I thought I was going to be more in information technology and ended up going to Vegas with a couple of friends shortly after my 21st birthday and saw the glitz and the glamour and realized in a recession, there wasn't really the same opportunities I thought there'd be in the IT industry. So I bought one of those books at Hudson News, How to Make a Million Dollars in Real Estate and No Money Down, <laughs> and read it on my flight cover to cover back home and called my college landlord. And he was a, just like a local real estate broker that owned a bunch of houses, was written to college students and just other random tenants. And this was 2002. So within 30 days, I bought a house, no money down, and then bought another one. I think my first four loans were all countrywide or First Franklin or pretty much every bank that collapsed in 2008. And I was hooked. Within a year and a half, I quit my job and was thought I was going to be retired by 30. And then 2007, 2008 happened and I saw the financial crisis firsthand. And I took a couple, um, you know, had a couple lumps from a couple bad deals, but all in all, it worked out okay because there was private equity funds in New York City that needed real estate people. So in November 2008, I'm working on Wall Street for a fund that was buying non-performing loans and they needed people like me who had done short sales and bought it to courthouse steps and flipped houses to protect them on the banking side. I had a crazy run about 10 years on Wall Street. We ended up buying from some of the major banks. We bought portfolios from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Goldman Sachs. And made more money than I ever thought I would, but I also lost my freedom. It was that New York grind. And I, I originally got into real estate for passive income and really ended up creating myself those golden handcuffs. In 2019, I ended up leaving the firm as an employee, moved to Puerto Rico and ended up being bought out. And I'd been personally investing passively in some multifamily syndications. And now my new business, JCAM Investments, focuses on investing in real estate syndications. And we have a few different products, including a diversified fund where an investor could be in multiple syndications all through one fund. And we also do have opportunities to invest deal by deal across across individual syndications. Really enjoy it. And I'm just excited to have this chat with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to have you on, not only because of what you're doing right now with your syndication business, but also because of the experience you had in that 08, 09, 2010 era in the real estate industry that was a very tumultuous area. And since you were sort of on the ground, I'm curious, what was it like during that time? Because a lot of people, regardless of whether it's true or not, think that we're going to go through a similar time now. What was it like for those operating in the industry at that time? Yeah. So when I look back, I mean, I should have seen the writing on the wall, but I really didn't. But as, as far back as 2006, it was getting harder to get loans. 
you'd see loans that used to be closed in 30 days were all of a sudden taking 60, 90, just delays that weren't really explained. And so the cracks were starting way back then. And it was scary. I I was still in my 20s, but it was really people that were 20, 30 years older than me really hadn't seen that type of, of crash, especially how rapid the crash was. Now, I got started in Rochester, New York, which was not the same boom bust type market as like a Phoenix or Vegas was at the time. But yeah, things really just froze and it just it was very tough to get loans. And it was really, really kind of a scary time. And it's not when I look at how it is now compared to then, it's really apples and oranges. I mean, the loans that were given out back then, so many people just should never have gotten a mortgage. There was no income, no asset verification. I think they would call them liar loans. Uh, also, there were loans that were artificially low on interest rate that were automatically going to go up in value or go up in interest rate. Whereas now, I mean, majority of homeowners have 30-year fixed. And I saw a statistic that 40% of homeowners actually don't even have a mortgage. 30% are locked below 4%. So the reason I don't think the residential market is going to crash this time around is there's just not going to be enough supply. And there are some markets that may need to adjust 5%, 10% that just had sort of an artificial bubble post-COVID and on all the stimulus. But all in all, I think the residential housing market is is reasonably healthy. And I think the supply constraints are going to keep keep it from any sort of dramatic crash like 2008. And fast forwarding to today uh, with your business with JCAM, you mentioned that you're more of a fund of funds manager as opposed to an operator in the real estate space. Can you explain that a little more? Yes. Yeah, so when I got started in multifamily, I'd started investing as a passive investor. I, I was still working on in New York and I didn't have the time or the ability to be doing things on my own. And I, in my 20s, I was an owner of multiple single and two family houses. So I saw the challenges of trying to scale and being, being a landlord of a bunch of small one to four family houses, you can very easily create yourself a job. And I wanted something that was more scalable. So as I looked at getting into the space, I had a number of groups that I've already successfully invested with. And when I was talking with them, I realized that you know these groups, when you're doing large deals, like a hundred plus unit apartment complex, really good operating partners and great investors always need capital partners and they need help raising capital. And rather than become a broker dealer where you're just getting paid to raise capital, ultimately I realized I could just be a partner in these deals. And part of being a partner is helping raise capital. And that's really, I've always been a connector. I was always also somewhat of an evangelist for real estate. I was originally the one that was trying to get my friends in their 20s to house hack and buy a two family and live in the other half and rent it out. And then being early to the non-performing loan space, I got a lot of real estate investors into the distressed loan space after the financial crisis. And now in my 40s, and a lot of my friends and colleagues and counterparts are getting to that stage where we've built some wealth and we're looking for better ways to invest it. And I think this is the next logical step of trying to help people get into deals that are far superior than just investing in index funds or the traditional Wall Street financial system, which I just think does not provide the returns it should just because there's so many middlemen taking their fees. Ultimately, I decided that it's better to join with successful investors that already have access to deal flow and a track record and then try to recreate the wheel and start an operationally intensive business for myself day one. And what it's really yielded is we do get our pick of the litter of deals because we've got about 15 groups that we've invested with so far. Each of them looks at 200 plus deals and finds maybe two to three deals a year that are worthwhile to invest in. So of those groups, we're getting sent roughly 30 to 40 deals a year, and we pick one or two deals a month 
at most to focus on. So we're getting the benefit of thousands of opportunities that are distilled down to the top 10 to 15 deals a year that we do. I like that approach. It's nice because Ike and I, our specialty or background per se is with multifamily and we know operator, GP operators that, as you mentioned, they focus on more of the acquisition piece and being the lead GPs. And, and we know quite a few that also do the co-GP opportunity. And it's not a bad deal. We have some people just like you that specialize in that. And like you said, it's it's a nice it's not a nice niche. If you really think about it, you got all these deals that come to you and you just do investor relations and raise capital, provide some expertise when you can throughout the business plan. And you don't have to deal with the headaches of EMD and getting something locked up and dealing with brokers and sourcing the properties, doing everything on site. It's not a bad play. And I can see, definitely see how it stands out to you and your team. It's a really good play. Thank you for that. And long-term, rather than having to do all of that and competing with multiple other investors, I do feel we're building some off-market inventory. Most of the our partners also own some other properties that are in other syndications that we're not involved in. But over time, my hope is eventually to perhaps do one or two deals a year where we already know the property, we know the asset, but it's getting to that time frame where it has to sell. And that's where we'll jump in and potentially be more of a true GP or, or the lead GP. And we'll leave the partner who found the deal five years ago in the deal to continue to run it day to day, but where we're raising a majority of the money. And then we don't have to spend the hours and the time and the money and the pursuit costs of looking through those 200 deals because we have deals that were already involved in the team that we can then perhaps basically buy it off of ourselves and or just recapitalize it, get a new loan and get a new five-year term, five to seven-year term with our investors. And we'll hold the, hold some of the best assets longer term. So that's actually that's not something I've heard before. Essentially, you're describing being an exit opportunity for your general partners on the initiative that they have. So for instance, if if I had a deal and I brought it to you and you raised capital for me, maybe three, five, seven years down the line, I could exit the deal to you and your investors and go find the next one. That's actually really interesting because you can build a bit of a flywheel with that as long as you have the investors in place to come and take out whatever standing loan is on a deal or it feels it's going to be taken out with cash. That's pretty interesting. Have, have you actually gone full cycle on one of those kinds of deals? Uh, we have not where we've been the takeout, but it's part of my long-term plan. We've certainly had some deals exit. And I think it's a balancing act as well, because you want to be fair to your investors and ensure that there's no conflicts of interest. So even if you're not going to go fully to market on a, a active listing, you need to make sure that the price is justifiable, that the cap rate you're buying it at is reasonable and within a couple basis points of where it should be so that the investors that are being bought out know they're getting a fair deal. And then the new investors also that come in no, they're getting a fair deal. And ultimately, you do save a fair amount of money not having to go to market, not paying a full real estate broker commission. We do expect there'll be some win-wins, especially in a more stable market. Last year or two, there were a lot of crazy deals selling at crazy high prices, very low compressed cap rates. In that environment, you sell to some strangers, you cash out and you move <laughs> on. But in a more stable market where you know, where prices are normalized, I think there's going to be a lot more room to just to take out some of these deals through a recapitalization. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, since these are relatively long-term agreements and partnerships, how do you vet the GPs you end up working with? So if I were to go and start my own fund of funds, what's the way I can ensure that my investors are protected? Um, because you know, ultimately, that GP group has say over the asset management of the deal. Uh, yeah. And then look, it's an art and a science. Yeah, I think the first thing 
goes to direct experience. So obviously there's some investors, there's some partners that I just tested with my own money before I even thought of doing this business in the way we've done it. Nothing's a substitute for a personal track record of success. We have a number of partners that we've already exited with and that we look at their new deals as they come through. We're often, I'm in a number of mastermind groups. I think budget last year was like 75,000 in masterminds, travel, conference, knowing our operating partners personally and spending time with them at conferences, seeing their track records, seeing their, their ethics, their communication style. And generally in these masterminds, other mastermind members have typically also invested with them previously too. So it's very rare that we're investing in a deal that just comes as a cold email of, Hey, come invest in our deal. It's really just like a somewhat of a private club or a mastermind group that we've developed over time. And do people do reach out regularly and we do build a database of potential future GP partners, but it's largely a referral-based business and just looking at their experience and monitoring their track record over time so that when the can't-miss deal comes, we're ready to jump in and invest together. Are you a passive investor looking for consistent monthly income? 70 Investments offers funds that are open to accredited and non-accredited investors and are focused on distressed mortgages, offering an annual preferred return of 8 to 11% paid in monthly dividends. Even better, the income is taxed as qualified dividends, not ordinary income, providing investors with a more favorable tax treatment. As an added bonus, there are zero fees, which means that investors will receive a true preferred return and more money in their pocket each month. Interested in learning more? Email our team at invest at the number seven, the letter E, investments.com to learn more. All right, well, we're going to move on to the second part of the show, the legacy round. Chi, you want to kick it off? Sure. Yes. So the legacy round, it's an open forum on either your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business or practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network and choose one of the three. I'm going to go with how to build your investor network because I've been living this for the last few years. (laughs) Well, you can just go ahead and share some tips on how to build your investor. So, uh, you know, I'd been in real estate 20 plus years, but because of the detour to Wall Street, I really did not build out my personal investor network. We had pension fund money and large private equity fund money. I was attending a lot of these conferences as a, as a fund manager, but we, it was all big money and I was not allowed to take smaller investors up until I I left in 2019. So I was really starting over at that point. I had a decent Rolodex, but a lot of people thought of me as the guy who would sell them non-performing loans or REOs, not necessarily the guy to manage money. And it was a process. And we we really dove right in and really built the brand and set up the proper CRM system right off the bat, the drip email campaigns. It's all 20 years ago, it was sending postcards. It was putting an ad in the yellow pages. And now it's really 90% email content, social media. I was a little bit of a slacker on social media. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I was never one of those guys that's, Hey, look at me. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm eating for breakfast. This is our deal. And (laughs) it it, it took a mastermind to really beat me over the head to say that it's just, it's absolutely necessary. And ultimately the weird thing is if you talk to me one-on-one, I don't shut up about tax saving on taxes, investing in real estate, moving to Puerto Rico, travel. So I decided to sort of let the personality go online. And that was a big breakthrough. We also launched our podcast recently. I would love to have y'all on, on our show in the near future as well. And it's fun. I love chatting with investors about their mindset. I love chatting with operating partners and it's been, that's been rewarding and entertaining and we're seeing results from it too. It's not like we have a million viewers, but people that are interested in us take the time. And we've had multiple investors that saw a post or saw something. And by the time they call to talk to me, 
they've listened to four or five episodes already and they feel like they kind of know me already. And that's super valuable for building that rapport with your investor base. Yeah, that's huge. I can totally relate to you on that because I also had a lot of resistance in sharing like my real estate on my social media. And I tried to have a different account for my real estate and then I just never touched it. And I was like, I do not have enough time or bandwidth (laughs) to manage two accounts. So yeah, I just recently started sharing on my account too of what I do with real estate because people find it interesting and they want to root you on. And it's fun because then they can be more invested in your real estate journey and they get to learn something out of it too. And then you get to share more of your knowledge and help more people. And from what I've learned about you over the years, Jack, you are like such an evangelist and such like an angel and trying to get other people involved. And that really shows a lot of heart, I think, somebody who like cares to get somebody else financially free or multiple other people. So I think that has been like something that's helped me get over the mental hurdle of doing stuff on my social media, because if we can get more people financially free, as I shared with these guys on a previous podcast, I'm like, we'll have more friends to travel with if we're (laughs) financially free. You know, I don't want to be financially free alone and solo travel all the time. So yeah, I love that. And I'm just curious, Jack, we have a question in the Giordano round where I asked for a bunch of the education piece, but you mentioned that you're part of a lot of different masterminds. So would you mind for our listeners listing them out? I'm sure that they'll get value from that. Sure. So I'm in Raise Masters, which is Hunter Thompson's mastermind and focuses pretty heavily on multifamily, but really along the marketing, the capital raising. And that was when I mentioned being beaten over the head of you just need to commit to the podcast and social media and, and putting clips out that that's a part of the breakthrough. I'm also in the Collective Genius, which is a combination of high-volume house flippers, multifamily. I think it originally was much more of a high-volume house flipper mastermind, and they've expanded and create group of people, great content. And uh, the other one I'm in is Power Room, which is Eddie Wilson and Andrew Cordell, and uh, mixture of real estate investors, a, lot, a little bit more internet marketing, social media as, as well. I've certainly learned a bit about the internet marketing and just expanding your my reach there. And they actually brought in some celebrity celebrity guests from time to time. So I actually got to meet Mike Tyson at one of their masterminds and Mike gave, gave a little talk. He talked a lot about perseverance and really enjoyed that. <laughs> it's the only impression I'll do, I swear. <laughs> the only person I hope is not a listener just for our sake. <laughs> if you want a no bullshit way, on how to invest in multifamily real estate and do your first deal this year, then check out my Amazon best-selling book, That's My Property. It's one of the few books that teaches people about buying apartment buildings in a raw and easy-to-understand format. Go to drmultifamily.com or provethemwrongthebook.com. Again, that's drmultifamily.com or provethemwrongthebook.com. All right, well, let's move on to the Giordano round. You want to take it away, Dre? Yes. So, Jack, as you know, this is the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. It stems from Chicago Pizza, the deep dish pizza, in fact, known for its thick, meaty slices of pizza that gives you a mouthful. So, the Giordano round, my favorite round, is going to be a series of questions between myself, Ike, and Chi that we will ask you, and it will leave our listeners walking away with a breath of knowledge. So, the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember you, Jack? Bye. Oh, wow. It's been fun. Ah, okay. I like it. I like that. It's been I like it. Okay, number two. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? I think it's you just got to take action. 
or however it fits for you and your personality, your time. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate that I've been in a couple of spaces where I didn't have a lot to lose and was able to take that action, but I've certainly also been stalled and looked back on things where it's like, ah, I should have did this two or three years ago. And, uh, you know, it took a while. So whether it's getting, getting out of your W2 job, if that's your goal to get into real estate or just slowly getting into investments just to build wealth in, in a better way, there's plenty of wrong ways to do it, but taking action there, there's plenty of first steps that can get you there from simple meetup group to just digesting information off bigger pockets. And the further you get into it, the more you'll find your path. And the worst thing you can do is just not do anything and just sit there and have regret. Number three, vocab. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Cap rate for sure. I mean, that kind of goes, I think, without saying, but I think a lot of single family investors maybe don't think as much about cap rate. They'll just think about rent. Um, IRR, internal rate of return, is often often misunderstood. And it's mostly because you can't really do it on the back of a napkin. You kind of have to use Excel. It does loosely correlate to annual return or average annual return. It's usually somewhere within a couple points. And the, uh, I guess, cash on cash return is always key. And I think what we've seen with interest rates recently, some of the rate moves have drastically impacted the current cash flow on, on some of the multifamily deals, some of the more challenged ones. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups, what do you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Sure. So I covered kind of my mastermind groups and obviously there, there's tons of other good ones. There's also a ton of good live events as well. You can start with your own local meetup group. Almost every major city has a meetup or an investor club. And uh, there's a lot of good live conferences as well. I missed it this year, but I generally do go to the best ever. It was uh, in Salt Lake. I think they have a thousand plus people. I know there's a big one in Charlotte coming up in May. And if you're looking to get into the space in whatever area, whether you're looking to try to maybe become an operator, whether you just want to be a passive investor, there's no substitute for meeting other people that are doing the same thing successfully. And often they're only a year or two ahead of you. But for me, that was always the biggest thing. I could read in forums, I could buy courses, I could buy books, but just meeting someone else who is not a rocket scientist or not a millionaire already that just took action and did a couple deals successfully, or even that had some challenges, but actually took action. That for me was always was what would get me over the hump is finding just a real person who is not too different than me that was having success in the business. And then book wise, I just I'll give a shout out to a book that changed my life in 2008 when it came out was the Four Hour Work Week. Yeah, I was. It was during the financial crisis. I was really rethinking a lot about my life, and now someone else that is common. Almost everyone I know has some level of virtual assistant that they've had off Upwork or Fiverr, and it was revolutionary at the time. But uh, when you think about reclaiming your time and having a truly passive income, it was really. It does get me back into the proper mindset of trying to be efficient with my time, both for work-life balance and for travel. Okay. Number five, what is the most important skill to build to be successful in real estate investing? For me, it's the networking and being the connector. It's not the same for everyone, but on the capital side, uh, it's also adding value. I think the best connectors are able to find a way to add value to whoever they're talking to, even if it's not going to make them any money in the short or long term. It's just, how can you help them? What is their need? Who, could, who else could you introduce them to? And luckily, I love that. and I do that naturally. If you're more of an introvert or an analytical person, then it's really financial modeling. So for those of you that are not going to be taking over a room and holding court, every person like me 
needs somebody who can run circles around an Excel spreadsheet and, and you get numbers crunched. So those are the two skills for the two different types of, of people. I think most people fit generally into one or the other. If you're good at both, then you're then good for you. It's very rarely are people good at that. I found those, both of those skill sets though. All right. Number six. And the last question might lead pretty well into this one. What is the very first action you would advise a brand new investor to take to start their journey in real estate? So I think the, th- the first action has to be the education to actually understand the business and understand the highest level of buying a property with leverage, understanding the cash on cash return, understanding what it looks like over a few years with either building equity or, yeah. you know, ho- or holding for long-term cash flow. And then, so that's obviously the first, because at that point, if you don't understand the numbers, you don't want to be talking to potential investors or partners or realtors or anybody if you're not going to have the basic understanding of the numbers. And that doesn't mean you can't ask a silly question here and there because everyone was a beginner at some point. But I know when beginners have come up to me, knowing that they've at least read some stuff, they're researching things on on bigger pockets, they're asking, even if it's to me a simple question, because I've known it for 20 years, uh, you know, it's not a stupid question if I know they've at least done some research and for whatever reason, they're just not putting two and two together. And after that, if that's sort of step zero instead of step one, it's just putting yourself out there, networking, building a network, finding where you could plug in. If you're young and broke, you can be a bird dog or you can work for a local wholesaler. Call the We Buy Houses, whoever has the signs out, whoever's advertising the internet, call a network with all those people that you know are active in the business. All right. Well, there we go. Another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. I'm your host, Drew Havens. Got my other host, Chi Nguyen, IKK. Thank you, Jack, for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Peace. Thank you, guys. It was an awesome time. Thank you for tuning in to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. If you would like free resources, exclusive content, or more information on investing in real estate, visit the website at multifamilybytheslice.com. See you next week.